Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Elemental Awakening. Today, my guest is a friend of mine, good friend of mine from down in San Antonio, Texas. That's right. Uh, it's probably a bit warmer than we are up here in Toronto. His name is Matt. Oh, Matt yeah. Zian. So yeah. how, do you, how do you properly pronounce it? Like, I say Zian. Zian. Um, but I'm, I'm always open to the way people pronounce it. Uh, Matt Zian. I'm sure you get a few I different like variations of that when totally. you get people. Yeah. Totally, get yeah. um, he's a super interesting guy. He's a musician. Um, he runs some online pages, social media guy, entrepreneur, so many other things. And I bet he'll give a way better introduction onto who he is and um, a little bit of background on who is Matt and what you're doing right now. So yeah, take it away. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, again, you know, my name's Zian. Um, that's my artist name. That's uh, X-I-A-N, and uh, I'm a producer, documentary filmmaker, editor, and um, kind of like a creative director of sorts, you could say. So I've been involved in a number of creative projects from a young age, um, starting with video first, uh, you know, using the home camera to make movies as a very young person, you know, talking like five, ages five to ten and stuff, and... Um, essentially since then I've really, uh, just stepped into this kind of like creative path and I really enjoy it. It's really brings me a lot of, you know, happiness in life and, um, yeah, it's great. How old are you now, Matt? I am 28. 28. Okay. Still mm -hmm. relatively young. So young age, you started off like 10 years ago, you'd say 18, 17, just out of high school. That's right. That's right. And um, so you started making music and then you started, uh, how did you get into the social media world? Was it from the music that sort of shifted into social media? Yeah. Um, so I created a band with two of my best friends um, around age 16. The band was called Something Fiction. Um, we're still around, we're still doing stuff. Um, but essentially we um, started making music kind of more seriously when I was like 18 years old. And um, we put our first record out very much influenced by this kind of awakening that had happened to me um, via psychedelic mushrooms. And since that, you know, it's like we need to market it. Let's put it out let's, as far and wide as we can. So we were using social media to do that. But I would say my real kind of uh, voyage into social media began with uh, my mentor Mitch Schultz of DMT the spirit molecule um, I just became a big fan of psychedelics through my journeys and uh, followed that film watched it 10 times over just thought it was super incredible followed that film and um, eventually I was uh, privy to an opportunity to come in and help um, as an intern uh, Mitch Schultz with marketing his film and eventually, you know, kind of years into my work with him, he ended up, you know, entrusting me to, to run his page, DMT, the spirit molecule on Facebook. And doing that is what I think catapulted me into the social media world to the point that I was getting hit up left and right by all types of other social media admins, editors, um, creators that were like, hey, we're a fan of this page. Let's collaborate. So I just kind of started building a network kind of organically through my work with Mitch. Yeah. Interesting. So would you say that that first mushroom experience sort of was the uh, catalyst to this path of all these different experiences and where you are right now? hundred percent. Yeah. So the first two times I actually tried psilocybin mushrooms, um, they were not quite peak experiences. They were still me kind of dipping my toes in and, um, but that third experience where we actually took, you know, enough to really feel it, um, it completely changed my life. So it wasn't the first time I took mushrooms. It was the third time that. Third time to try. Maybe that's where that, that yeah. comes from. <laughs> totally, totally. The first two were not bad, but I wouldn't say I got any type of spiritual insight or, or uh, awakening. It was kind of just more like, oh, I feel a little weird, you know. 
Um, but that so, third one, we actually took enough to really like, there's no going back, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what changed after that? And what, what were some of the insights that like, was it like inspiration? Was it sense of direction and clarity? You know, you were, you were still relatively young, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for me, like at that age, the, the mushrooms were always in a social setting at a party. I had no idea that they could be used for anything else. Like to me, they were a drug that was for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 18 doing enough to have a spiritual experience, it should be this is very interesting to me. And, and it sounds like, um, it gave you a lot of clarity and maturity at such a young age. So you want, you want to expand a bit on that and what changed Absolutely. after your experience? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, um, I was lucky enough to fall into a group of guys, you know, these guys in my band and, um, some of my best friends that we also, you know, bonded over things like video games and stuff, um, being in high school together that were pretty smart you know these guys were philosophers you know they they like to think about space and black holes and uh you know just kind of like general philosophy stuff so we were already kind of into like deeper things um also the music we were into the lyrics would be exploring uh very deep topics you know for example tool was a big influence of ours a big uh band that we all listened to collectively that also helped bind us as friend group and the lyrics and you know that tool put out very spiritual um and of course i didn't know that at the time i was just drawn to the sounds and the melodies and i had no idea what a spiritual experience was even though i loved songs that would you know kind of delve into that so as a bunch of kind of philosophical guys already, we were kind of predisposed to a powerful experience when these mushrooms kicked in. So we uh, luckily were, you know, at a park um, in a very beautiful setting and environment for this shift. We weren't at a party. We weren't kind of, luckily we had done some research into set and setting and realized that, you know, it's very important and um, don't, don't take, don't take these things in a place that, you know, it's not going to be for your optimum healing benefit. So we're at a park, you know, time and space completely collapse. And do you have any uh, gauge of how much you did or was it just like an open bag? And it's split? about an eighth. It was about an eighth of mushrooms. An eighth, three and, three and a half grams. Thick stems, yeah. 3.5 yeah. grams. Yeah. yeah. That'll get you there. Yeah, I definitely did. Um, it's really hard to explain, of course, as you, we always hear about these experiences, like my perception, but I was definitely receiving more information from the field of reality, it seemed to me, than I was typically able to. And I could see all types of, um, I was, you know, having revelations by the second, pretty much. And it really just shifted the way that I look at the world. I felt like it was almost the first time I looked at the world or at least the first time since I was like very young that I felt, you know, what being on a planet in space was because we're all so caught up in our, the stories we're t- telling ourselves, our mental images and the, the kind of storyline that goes on in our head for all of, all of our life. And we lose track of like what we actually are and what's actually happening and I could just get a very real sense that, whoa, my feet are on the ground on a, on a planet that's floating through space and space is just infinite. And it's like, this is a super mega gift. Like, this is a miracle, the fact that we're here. And I guess I could see that my perception of looking around at the world was I, I could feel like we were on some alien planet. Um, and I got a sense that, you know, we were aliens or like something like that. And it just became very eye-opening to the gift of life and the gift of being able to actually awaken and realize what a special journey this is, you know, because prior to this, I was someone who took a lot of things for granted. Um, I was kind of depressed. I was kind of like, well, stuff's not going my way. Why do I... You know, why am I having issues with girls? Why am I having issues with money? I'm a young kid, so I'm kind of stressed out. Just typical 18-year-old, kind of you know, yeah, very, very yeah. typical 18-year-old, you know, 100%. mindset and per- perception yeah. of reality. Yeah. Yeah. I had a kind of a normal day job, you know, working in a grocery store. I didn't love it. You know, it wasn't calling to my passion. Um, I didn't even know I was supposed to be 
super aligned with my passion at that point. I, I had known that, known that previously, but somewhere along the line, like all the college talk and, you know, parental expectations and then, you know, you, you wanting to go to a college with your buddies when they're going off and stuff like all that, just like kind of societal pressure just kind of like was baking me into a depressed person. Um, and then when I had this awakening, I realized like, whoa, like this is a special experience. I shouldn't waste it. Being alive is truly a gift and it's better to take a risk and do something you love than to not try. So I began saying, well, what is it that I love? What is it that brings me joy in this life? Music was the thing that, that hit me. It was like making music with these guys, listening to music. Music has always been a part of my life. I'm someone who can like, without even try trying, like remember lyrics for like days. Like I have just like an endless memory bank of lyrics. Like I could have not heard a song for 20 freaking years at this point. And I can still remember the lyrics from even being a kid, you know? So something about music and, and vocals just really called out to me. And um, I am a vocalist myself. I'm not super doing it as much these days because I'm really enjoying just music production. But I do have some albums out, you know, with me singing. We have uh, three, three records out as Something Fiction. Now I'm making music as Zian as a solo producer. And um, it's not that something fiction, you know, isn't still alive and, and could potentially put out uh, another record and stuff. Um, I actually live with my guitarist. He's my roommate. So we're still super close. Um, we've just kind of been exploring our own individual musical tastes recently. And so I'm creating solo music. He's creating solo music. It's, it's, it's really still a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, you know, like kind of you hear of like the ego dissolution thing that happens with psychedelics and and then once you're kind of coming back to the world it's almost like this rebirth like this clean slate and you get to rebuild what's important to you in your life you know via your perception and what i knew was important was music and i wanted to pursue that as full force as i could so we really you know as a band um and me as kind of the four uh the forefront of the band or the vocalist the the, the focal point um and also just kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of let's let's get out there let's make it happen and we started doing shows getting on the radio trying to get opportunities to play festivals started working with mitch um out of austin and he gave us awesome opportunities to like bring our music to the psychedelic world and after doing that for one two years and meeting tons of people in the space we were like whoa we have a collective now we have five solid friends that are also musicians that are coming from this space of uh awakened consciousness or psychedelic experience and we we bound that by creating a collective and that collective was called time wheel and um we started just as a collective and uh also a blog where we're just kind of like posting music that's inspiring us lately as well as you know releasing like self-releasing our music and the, the music of the other people in the collective Eventually, um, we do that for one, two years, actually kind of catch some fire, especially because of uh, my um, relationship with Mitch Schultz and his support of just like blasting us through his network and being super, um, you know, behind what we're up to. I uh, can't thank him enough for that. And um, we had created such a network kind of <clears throat> that we said, we have what it takes here to be a record label an independent record label, not a major record label. You know, we're still kind of uh, like a budget record label, but we have the passion, we have the network, and we have the, uh, the means to, you know, help other artists in their pursuit of getting their music out, sharing their message. So slowly over the years, Time Wheel shifted from a collective to a blog to a record label. And to now, I feel like we found this niche of like being a media platform for the visionary. Um, I've been lucky enough to make connections with a ton of filmmakers, you being one of them, um, through my work with Mitch and um, also CT, who's a good friend of mine out of Austin, who I might recommend for this podcast, actually. And um, I started helping with the Aubrey Marcus camp. Um, he has a film called Ayahuasca and Wachuma, which Mitch was uh, involved in creating. And I came in as well as an editor for those. And 
then the doors just open. They're just like, oh, we hear you do psychedelic stuff. So I started getting hit up from all angles, all different people. You know, hey, we love your work with the spirit molecule, with ayahuasca, with Wachuma. Like, can you help us? And so we start kind of rolling out these different films and helping them become successful and widely known in the space. Um, so we started folding films into what we do as well. And then the exact same thing happened with podcasters. Podcasting was very new, still is kind of new. Um, and uh, we started making contacts with people, for example, Michael Phillip from Third Eye Drops, big shouts to him. And we were just like, hey, well, we have a platform here. Let's share this platform because I love the way he talks and the people he interviews and the way he articulates the psychedelic experience. So um, we started building bridges with podcasters, filmmakers, and musicians. So the Time Wheel is a media platform for those things. And then on top of that, the last thing we started doing, which is recently in the past one, two, three years, is uh, events, in-person events, bringing a collective visionary quality to our city, San Antonio, because there really was a lack of kind of like representation in that field. In Austin, it's way different. Austin's super psychedelic, you know, like it's like the LA of Texas and they're very turned on there. There's a, like a industry there and they're very aware of psychedelics and that's where like DMT, the spirit molecule was produced and as well as a new understanding, the science of psilocybin, you know, like I said earlier, Wachuma and Ayahuasca, all of those films are coming out of Austin. So we were like, how do we bring this energy that I'm experiencing in Austin to San Antonio, bring it home? Um, so we started this festival called Odyssey. And um, I started that with a number of the, the guys that are on time wheel. And it's just been so much fun. You know, we had what four years now, four years of Odyssey festivals. And in between these festivals, we're also throwing like shows, like house shows, but also shows at different venues. And um, I think that the, the, the main focus of the shows is to bring visionary music, art and community together to just have an experience, have a night. And, we don't say like only one genre, like it doesn't have to be just electronic music. Like we work. How would you define like psych psychedelic too. music these days? Like what, what, what defines mm -hmm. it? You know, is this like, mm -hmm. how would you answer that question is, as a genre is psychedelic? It's a sound. Is it a community behind the sound? Is it the lyrics? Is it you know, like what, what defines psychedelic um, music or a psychedelic uh, music festival? To me, um, most of the guys, that that we work with they've been inspired by similar experiences i guess that at you know like the most like baseline quality is like where are you writing from hmm. you know like like what like what experience are you trying to channel and a lot of these guys are like i had an awakening you know i had a really big trip i had uh, another worldly experience and I want to create music and art or of some sort, whether it be visual art or, or a podcast or a film, something like I want to create from this experience that I had because they are powerful. Like these experiences literally are like life changing mm -hmm. and it, it can help you like redirect your thoughts to actually like artful um, creation. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd say most of the guys that, that we work with, as far as like this Odyssey Festival, even if they're a rock artist versus like an electronic artist, they're, they're writing from a space of, you know, I've been in an altered state and this is some of the stuff I've learned. Um, and it's not always the case because, you know, like you don't just write the same thing over and over and over in every song. So some songs might be more about emotion and some songs might be more about spirituality, but really like it's all, it's all, you know, joined by the, the, the visionary quality of, let's create something from inspiration that we found within ourselves during these experiences. Hmm. So interesting. And there's so, also, you know, yeah. like, like, like sound qualities that exist within psychedelic music, you know, a certain spaciness, a certain depth, you know, mm -hmm. um, certainly lyrics that, you know, when you read them, you can say, wow, these really sound inspired by an altered state of consciousness. It's not just kind of like, I went to the bar and I had a beard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the lyrics are very like emotive. So yeah. When making the documentary, try to select songs that were, I guess, psychedelically inspired a lot of your music and some of the, some of the, the artists from your label, obviously you guys 
um, put into the, the film as well. And, but even, you know, there's the medicine music that comes from South America. It's inspired and, and you can really see it comes from somewhere else. And I was actually personally inspired to start singing after an ayahuasca experience, uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been an interesting journey um, for me when it comes to music or even listening to music on psychedelics and how it, it becomes uh, visceral and it becomes so visual um, and you feel it and you can experience the music, you can experience the sound that it's not just auditory. It's, it's a full on experience through psychedelics. Like a band you've listened to a thousand times, listen to it on LSD or psilocybin. It sounds differently. You hear that depth you're talking about. Yeah. And I remember distinctly um, one LSD experience. I was in uh, Vancouver down by this river. There's a bunch of people and this guy starts playing guitar and this girl starts singing and it just totally blew me away. And uh, this thought came, it's like, shit, you know, every single one of us have this, this mm-hmm. gift of a voice, but how right. many people actually sing? And in an ayahuasca ceremony, um, I think it was the same year, maybe, maybe the following year. Um, as I hear someone singing live in a ceremony, the thought came, like, I wish I could sing like that. And the answer, the ayahuasca said, you can you just try sing about something that means something to you. Don't just try to sing something on the radio that sounds catchy, find mm-hmm. something that really resonates and you'll be able to sing it. So then I started like learning songs that I really connected with the lyrics or they were medicine songs. And I found this voice and it was interesting because when I would sing, I would feel high. I would have these altered states just through expressing myself creatively and singing, even if they weren't my own songs, even if I was doing a cover song, but really putting myself into it, I feel like I'd be reaching these altered states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a really interesting experience um, that most people I'd say, you know, don't experience because they don't sing or try to sing or sing about something that they're really passionate about. 100%. I agree. Um, For me, that's another thing that I knew that I love because I was actually singing before any of my psychedelic experiences um, kind of just by default because as a band, you know, I was playing piano. Um, we were kind of almost like a jazz fusion band when we started. We had a drummer, a guitarist, a bassist, and I was on keys. Um, eventually we did want to start playing songs with words and we all kind of looked around the room like, who wants to try and make vocals? Anyone? And I'm just like, hmm, I'll, I'll try. And so I did, and uh, I did find that I entered some type of uh, trance or altered state when we would be in our performance mode, you know, like we weren't performing for anyone but ourselves, but we were in a a room um, at my drummer's parents' house because we were still young kids, and um, we would just kind of enter these like kind of like grooves, like these trance states where we're all just like rocking, and it was dope. And, um, you know, like I said, falling away like all the things falling away when you have this ego dissolution and you're you're building them back when you're coming back i was like that is really a part of me that i hold dearly and that's like a big experience for me singing and being a part of a band like i really want to hold on to that and i love that and so yeah singing to me is it's super fun i do it all the time um even though i'm not like currently singing on a stage for people like i still sing in my daily life so and I, and I sometimes add a touch of vocals to like the electronic musician yeah, stuff that I do, but it's kind of like people don't really know that they're hearing vocals. It sounds kind of like effects, but I do throw some vocals in sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. it's interesting. I've also realized with, with more awareness to music through my own experiences too, that maybe there's more than two, but like I've identified two types of vocalists. There's the ones that are very ego driven. That's about them and wanting people to love them and put on the show. And there's the other performers that they just want to connect a message with the crowd and they sing from their heart, trying to evoke, you mm-hmm. know, an experience, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it's coming from them to connect versus look at me because I'm, I'm here and I'm the performer type thing, right. more ego based versus heart based. For sure. And, and just touching back on um, what you were going to before, when you get into those jams, that's another experience that I remember that you just sort of refresh my memory when I used to be in a band. It's mm-hmm. like when you start jamming and, and you just get into that zone where it's just like you're in this state of flow where everyone is just like so synced. It's like you merge consciousness in, in a, through music, although you're playing different instruments. It's just in such a flow that, you know, one guy's doing this, that, the changes happen together. You get into this amazing flow state. And mm-hmm. it's, it's such an interesting experience. Like what, what do you think is going on there? Like, is it the sound that's mm-hmm. connecting? Is it, is it a combination of 
Yeah. How would you describe that as a musician? That's crazy. That's a good question because I think a lot of people, you know, it's hard to put a finger on what's happening. And, you know, most, most guys, they're just think like, Hey, we're rocking out. Right. But, but when you think of it from a psychedelic perspective, I mean, the sense that I get is tribal communal shamanesque chanting around the, the fire, archaic, just like ancient primal thing happening that we're like, honestly, like out of touch with in today's society. But like that's, it's in our DNA. You know what I mean? Like that part of like those super ancient civilizations that would get around the campfire and have the shaman vision quests and like dance and sing and be uh, moved by drums and this type of stuff it's just like hardwired into people that are musicians and yeah, you, can, you can watch like footage of like woodstock and you see like i I'll always remember like the joe cocker woodstock performance and like he's like in full trance he's shaking he's screaming mm-hmm. like he's not thinking about what he's doing he's exactly. just totally surrendering to something else or yeah. like when you hear some of these like amazing drummers do these like wild drum solos right. it's not like they're thinking about what they're gonna hit they're just right. letting go and just letting go mm-hmm. totally into the experience and yeah and the music moves you music moves you yeah 100 yeah, percent. that's why i think it is magical man because music it's like almost everyone loves music i don't you know like if someone says they don't love or like music like i'm kind of like yeah you do because <laughs> <laughs> like how do you not you know what i mean it's like maybe you're not the biggest fan where you're digging into everything the way that some people do. But I mean, you hear music everywhere you go. It's universal. It's a universal language. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, and again, I'm generalizing here big time, but people should give other genres of music a chance Mm -hmm. really listen to other music. Cause most of the time people like what they're familiar with. uh, And there's like this bias towards that. Um, but I've learned over the last few years is to really listen to everything, all types of music, and just give it a chance. You know, because at mm-hmm. first you're like, oh, I don't like this because it doesn't sound like what I'm used to hearing. Mm-hmm. But some of the music I've been exposed to is just like so amazing, whether it's this world music, South American, different types of remixes, Psytrance, like whatever, like Deep yeah. House. Because um, there's some people, and you know, there's some other music that sucks, in my opinion, and to some mm-hmm. people they might love it. But there's some artists there that, you know, it sounds different, but you can feel that passion behind it. And that, that's what moves you when you find those artists that are really like into the music. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say psychedelics definitely opened my appreciation up for different musical genres that I previously didn't really have, you know, a lot of appreciation for. Um, not because I thought it wasn't valid, but it was just, yeah, like you said, I, I, I was... In my little, like, I want to stay in my familiar bubble, you know? It's like, I grew up listening to rock music. I'm going to stay in this rock bubble. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't listen to, like, electronic music, trance, or, like, any type of deviation from rock music. Because I was like, oh, that stuff is just, you know, it's not the real music, you know? But after my psychedelic experiences and I would hear um, different types of music, I could learn to appreciate where that artist was coming from. And these days I love like all types of music. I mean, except for kind of like country and I can hear country like for its nostalgic value. I mean, I grew up in Georgia and they used to play it everywhere I went. So I know some of the country songs. And I'm like, wow, I haven't heard the song in a minute. Like I can appreciate the nostalgia it's bringing to me, but I don't really put country on. You know what I mean? But yeah, there's a lot I, of music that I won't put on, but sometimes I'll hear it. And I'll go, hey, wow, well, you know, that's a, that's a cool song or like, yeah. Um, like my wife recently was listening to like Dolly Parton, like Jolene, I think the song mm-hmm. was. And I had never heard it before. I was like, wow, that's a really good song. Yeah, some and of those people are really good singers. And, and they just put their heart into it. Talent. Yeah. yeah. They just yeah, really like the passion, the talent, like I can appreciate it now. Um, yeah. no matter what you're no matter where you're coming from, you could be a pop singer, you can be a country singer, you can be whatever. I can like find that angle of like, well, he he loves music clearly and he's doing this hard and He's on the radio, so he's doing really good, you know? So it's like, how can I be a hater, you know? So I I do appreciate, like, all genres of music these days. Um, I just say, you know, country's on the the lower end of the spectrum of the frequency that I listen to it willingly. But um, I I totally... uh, I resonate with that. In your algorithm, it's got uh, not the most frequency. <laughs> totally. So let's change gears a bit here. So we got to know you a bit and what you're up mm-hmm. to and um, things that you're working on. Um, 
So speaking of algorithms, so you do a lot of Facebook, social media. So what do you think is going on right now in the social media world? You know, a lot of pages are losing reach. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people are complaining, but I was, I was just doing some math. You know, if you like a hundred pages that post 20 times a day, it's 2000 posts mm-hmm. on your feed per day. So obviously you're not going to be able to see all those. And Facebook right. wants to figure out a way to get stuff in front of you. So you think what they're doing is with these algorithms, you think they're really trying to improve user experience. You think they're just trying to get people to pay to play type thing. Like what's your sort of view on sort of social media as it is some of the main players. And Mm -hmm. do you think it's going to be changing? And if so, how? Yeah, it's a hard question because um, I never thought Facebook would change. I was actually like, I really loved Facebook for a while because I was like, this is such a cool thing that they're doing for for us as independent publishers, letting us actually get reach and clicks and stuff. And some of our pages, you know, have like super viral potential. If we post something that's of high quality caliber, um, it can go wide and far, um, even, even today. But when they started changing these algorithms, I was, I was like, what are they doing, man? Like it it kind of was like a, I feel like they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're going to like, pretty much make people go to a different platform, which is funny because the platform seems to be Instagram, which is also owned by Facebook. So I guess it's a win for them either way. But um, the whole fake news stir, um, I don't know who started that. Maybe the Illuminati. I'm just kidding. But um, it's like, yeah, when the fake news stir happened and then also the uh, Cambridge Analytica thing happened and then they reduced the amount of... uh, uh, viewership that any publisher could get by 25%, I believe it was 20 or 25%. You know, everyone that I know in the space saw a drastic decline in, you know, reach for their page, the amount of clicks they were getting and this type of stuff. So I really don't know what's going to happen, but in my mind, like Facebook kind of shot themselves in the foot and it made a lot of people unhappy with them by doing this. But Maybe it's for the best. I don't know. I mean, you're definitely right about the pay to play model. It works. And as someone who's invested in my business, you know, time wheel, and I'm a part of other businesses as well. We, we, we kind of do bend and pay for our reach now. So they're winning in that regard that, you know, they knew that we invested years into building these communities and then they just take all of our reach away. Well, it's like, well, I don't want to just throw years away. So I guess I'm going to pay 10 bucks for people to see this, you know? Well, and, and in their defense, you know, they're, they're investing a lot of money too. And they have a business and sort of, they gave a lot of people like a free opportunity to create a powerful mm-hmm. machine. Like I knew back in the day when this stuff was still really easy or much easier than it is today. Some Facebook pages were making like thousands and thousands, mm-hmm. tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. through uh, ad set, Google AdSense and stuff like yeah. that. And Facebook wasn't seeing any of that. You know, uh, that's true. But that's why I was like, this is such a good thing for the planet, you know, at the, you know, and it, and it really is a case to case basis because some of the people were doing it very clickbaity, very like misleadingly making money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, uh, us as people with, uh, you know, the psychedelic bond were kind of like, that mm, doesn't feel so in- like, does it have much integrity? integrity. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yo, they're kind of lacking integrity. So let's not do that. Mm-hmm. But let's do our own version of like integrity publishing, you know, like having mm-hmm. having substance to what you're sharing versus it just kind of being a copy paste from another site, which we saw a lot of. And actually, a lot of people did that to us. Time Wheel has gotten so many of our original articles stolen, just copy pasted to other channels. And I kind of said, you know, I don't care. Well, not, it seems not, a bit like the Wild West on, on yeah. online. People can just copy and paste and there's no real police that are out. I don't know if there's algorithms that stop reach or, you know, I think there's a little bit of that, but really, you know, it's a Wild West out there. Anyone could steal anything and repost it. It's really hard mm-hmm. to sort of crack down on stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so my, advice, position, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. my position on people like stealing our articles was I, you know, I don't care. At least it's getting read, right? You know, like this is our words between me as a writer and then my my right hand man sean acroatis he's uh, one of my best friends and he is like the writer for our website but between us two you know we wrote everything on the site that's there currently and uh yeah people just you know other psychedelic blogs even so i'm a little bit like hey you guys are a psychedelic blog you should have more integrity than to steal our article but you know <laughs> whatever um 
it's a weird freaking world, man. But uh, as far as like where it's going, I really don't know. Uh, I would hope that they would give a little bit of publisher reach back, especially if you don't have like marks against you, you know, like if you haven't been abusing, you know, Facebook and sending out clickbait and misleading articles and stuff like why should we be penalized? You know, we, we got our, we got our ad account uh, taken away at a float studio for trying to post an ad to pay. And, and it's, it's frustrating because we don't have like an ad manager that we can call and say, Hey, change this and you'll go back up. They're like, mm-hmm. you violated our, our policy. You're out. And we couldn't even, we couldn't even do anything. This is like our business. We're trying to pay to play in this, in this realm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of frustrating. It's, there's such a big machine and you know, people have talking for years. I've heard of all these other sites trying to come up and replace Facebook or a new social media platform. I don't know like- if they can do it now, you know, cause I remember when all this happened, there was a group of editors that, that I was a part of that was like, okay, we're going to start our own social media network. And I think they actually built a website. And it looked good. It actually looked good. But like, of course, how are you going to get everyone from Facebook over there? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's just like they have are so invested. Yeah, people are so people are so invested in Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really hard to transfer out of it. I really think the next social um, networks are going to be offline. Um, I think people are coming back to that. So I think, mm-hmm. I think the yeah, because world, the mental health thing, you know, I think the online world's really pushed people in a direction, which is it's very addictive and, it, and yes. it, it fills a lot of gaps and there's this information world that people have been exposed to that um, I guess have satiated their minds with all this information, but it's come at a cost where people are antisocial. People mm-hmm. are, are, um, looking at their screens all day, which causes a lot of other issues with stress and stuff like yeah. that. Blue light and stuff like, so I'm yeah. wearing these right here. Boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And now but, um, people are, are moving more like that. Once they find a real connection, they, they feel it like, Oh wow, I've been missing this. You yeah. Know, so hundred um, percent. Yeah. Hopeful. I love when you're just like amongst friends and you, it's been two hours and you don't even, you haven't looked at your phone. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, like, you, you were telling that's me real life. About, yeah. You were telling me the other day about some strategies you have called like deep work. Yeah. You, you want to talk a bit about that and what, what that's like? Sure. Yeah. Big shout out to Cal Newport. He's the author of a book called Deep Work and shout out to CT, my friend out of Austin, who I do video work for, um, who showed me this book. And the concept is undistracted um, zone, like you're in the zone, you're undistracted and you're going to do a block of work. A block is like an hour. So it doesn't count if you go check Instagram. It doesn't count if you go check your email. It doesn't count if you take that call or respond to that message. Even a just check, they're called. I just got to check. Did I get any new likes? I just got to check. You can't do that. It's like your phone is it's away from you or it's like face down on the table. And it's like, hey, I'm going to clock an hour right now. If you can get two or three or four of those hours in, you know, you're actually doing a lot more focused work than the rest of the world. Because everyone else is doing these just checks. And uh, essentially, we're in a very like low focus societal moment where at any moment when someone is like, quote unquote, bored, you know, you're standing in line to eat your groceries, checked out, you know, you're, you're waiting in line for the gas pump. You have now we have something to do. And, and they do do it. Everyone's like, oh, I got to do it. Like any, any moment of just stillness or boredom you can now fill it with this instagram this facebook this twitter um well what deep work teaches is try to train your mind to not default to like go to that entertainment mode um try and actually stand in line and be bored it's good for your brain to not constantly be getting these dopamine hits um and uh it it trains your mind to be more focused when it's time to be focused so for me, um, I've actually kind of uh, trying to get back in the swing of my early morning routines because I went on a vacation and it kind of threw me off. But uh, I did like three days this week of my super early morning routine where you get up and it's like before sunrise. So people aren't hitting you up. People aren't texting you. There's really no one posting because everyone's asleep. Those I find are the best hours to get your deep work in. And so before anyone else is even up or, or sees you for that day. What time is that for you? Four thirty. Wow. Four th- and you're you're at bed at what time? Like nine latest. Okay, so that's good. So you're giving But it's not every day. And you know, I'm actually I wanted to ask you a bit about it because I know that you're like a 
you're super into health and, and just like knowing like, you know, what's best for your body. Cause it's something I do Monday through Thursday. And I'm wondering if maybe that's not quite optimum for our circadian rhythm. Maybe you have insight on that, but so Monday through Thursday, it's like, I'm waking up at four 30, maybe five. Cause sometimes I'm just like, I need a little bit more sleep and I'm still getting up super early. Um, but, um, and then like Friday through Sunday, I'll sleep in a bit and get my rest back. Um, it works for me getting my deep work, but so on a like holistic your, level, I wonder, yeah, you know, can it be better? So, so I'm not an expert on sleep. I've read a few books on it. I've done my own personal studies. So, um, if you're listening and I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my own experience. So when you say get rested, does that mean you feel like you're not getting enough deep sleep during the week? Because you are, um, if you're going to bed at nine, you're mm-hmm. still getting that seven and a half to eight hours of bedtime. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a difference in my books between bedtime and sleep time. Sometimes you're going to bed at nine, you're not falling asleep till 10. Sure. Or are you falling asleep right away? So, you know, I have an aura ring, which, which tracks fairly accurately how Ooh. long I'm actually sleeping. I need to get uh, one. <laughs> no, you didn't get one? You I get want one. one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it actually will track that. So that's one thing. And they say what also is very important with sleep and circadian rhythm and stuff like that is consistency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that change from the weekend to the week. Um, I'm assuming you're going to bed a bit later at night. You're waking up. You're sleeping. In yeah, a bit because later. as a musician, you know, these shows and stuff, sometimes they're not having me play until 11 p.m. or later, yeah. you know? So. so I wouldn't say that's optimal, but I think it's important if you're getting like the eight hours or seven hours of sleep, maybe eight hours of in bedtime, um, and you're sleeping right through the night. Like th- those are good things. Um, consistency is also um, important. And then quality is important, the depth of your sleep. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to... Um, track that without some sort of tracking device but i used to have this wristband um i wish i remember the brand name i could look it up and i still have the wristband somewhere i kind of fall off using it but it um it did do that it would track your sleep your uh depth yeah the depth it it would even show you like and i think it's not you know trying to be 100 percent scientifically accurate but it's like there's a high chance that this is where your REM was as yeah. well. Yeah, the aura um, ring does something like that too. And, and some people say, like Matthew Walker says, they're fairly accurate, but they're not right. where they will be in a few years. Right. That's what I mean to say is it's like it, 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 it's guessing based on your pulse that, you yeah. know, potentially this is how much REM sleep you got. And it, and it could be right. It, but it's know. super important. Like sleep. I used to, I used to take sleep for granted. I used to... I wouldn't say I was a big Gary P fan, but I, I used to watch what he was doing and I was mm, like, same. shit, you know what I mean? This guy's crushing it. He's going to sleep yep. at late, late at night, waking up in the morning. He's like, fuck mm-hmm. sleep. I don't, you know, you got to get up and own it. And, yeah. and, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? Like if I can sacrifice some sleep and get a few more hours in, let's do it. But now the research is saying that that's actually not good for you. You're not going to be as focused. Your brain is not going to work as optimally and most likely you're not going to live as long. So you're saying, go get it now. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. one life to live, but you're actually shortening that one life that you have. So right. um, no, no disrespect to Gary Vee. I think he's changed his tone a bit around that. I'm not sure. I, I don't super follow him, but mm-hmm. he really came to mind as one of those guys like, yeah, I wake up super early. So right. back to your point of deep work, I would yeah. say like, if it works for you, do it, but don't mm-hmm. sacrifice too much sleep for mm-hmm. productivity because in the long run, if you're feeling tired, your brain's not going to be working as well. So that deep 100%. work might be, as deep as you think but um mm-hmm. you've inspired me to wake up even earlier like right now i'm around like 6 6 30 because mm-hmm. i'm trying to always get like that at least eight hours of bedtime right. yeah and and don't you have kids so like maybe getting up a little earlier you won't have to kind of deal with them being up and when i was up at 5 a.m those were my most productive because from 5 to mm-hmm. like 7 30 it was like quiet time you know totally 100 around the house and but same here because i live with a bunch of roommates you know and yeah once we're all up, we're all chatting, we're all talking business, you know, we're all like gearing up for whatever show. So it's like, for me to get my alone time with my work is is very important. And it definitely changed my game when I started doing it 100%. So um, I, I definitely love it and want to keep it up. And I do recommend it, you know, and even if you're not getting up super early to your deep work, just learning the concept of deep work. And um also as part of this book, he really goes into like why Instagram is so addictive and why we check. And it's not because it's awesome. It's because they trick us into thinking it's so important 
by timing things certain ways, holding back on letting you know about certain likes and you get on, you get a big, a big, like a big spree of likes or essentially these things are engineered to be as addictive as possible. It's not the fact that they uh, just so happen to be so cool. They're made to be in your mind. They're made to be on the back of your mind um, at all times. And once you kind of learn that, you know, you kind of look at it a little more suspiciously, like, hmm, do I want to give them my mind right now? Or can I save that for later? You know, because at the end of the day, you're just, you're helping advertisers make, um, you know, you're helping people make advertising money just by being on there. And uh, Cal Newport, the author of this book, has this thing called the attention resistance, which is pretty much a club of people who reduce the amount that they're on social media purposefully to kind of be part of this other like real world group and and resist the temptation of just giving your consciousness to these freaking program developers all day every day Mm -hmm. and you know i use it because it's part of our business um and i do use it even as a personal person you know just to keep up with friends and stuff but i do think that i have a a better understanding of what's going on than most people because most people are just glued to it, literally yeah. glued, like 24-7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it all the time. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'll admit, you know, like I, I get into these like Facebook spirals where I'm just clicking articles, reading, and just like lose myself. The next thing I you mean, know, like, reading articles isn't as bad as just mindlessly scrolling and you know what I mean? Well, yeah, like I don't spend much time like uh, on Instagram. Like I'll check it from time to time, usually when I'm doing posts. Um, but like I find myself more like just reading Facebook articles and just, yeah. you know, spending a lot of time in there. But still, you know, it's sometimes yeah, I read it, I don't feel any smarter. I'm just like, what the hell did I just read for the last hour? Just like. <laughs> I feel, yeah. There's pros and cons to everything. I mean, the information age that we're in is amazing. I mean, we can learn anything at the click of a button, you know? Um, so. I definitely think that it's a gift for sure, but let's just not abuse it. I mean, you can abuse anything, you know, you can abuse cheeseburgers as Joe Rogan always likes to say. Always say I love that line. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, just kind of like everything in moderation, you know, even Instagram, even Facebook, you know, I know that we, us entrepreneurs out here have to use it for business to get our word out, to get our leads, to, to get our conversions. Um, but as a consumer, just limit yourself, you know, if you're going to go in and do your work, do your work, but don't get caught up in the, the maelstrom of, you know, just scrolling. Yeah, I hear you. So what would you say for people that want to start using Facebook? Cause I guess there's a couple ways, you know, some people that already have a business want to grow like a following online. Mm-hmm. Then there's some people that just want to become influencers and start a channel. So what, what would you suggest or some like you think, the best social media sort of outlets to for business if you want to grow something from scratch and is it still possible mm-hmm. to do that in this day and age you know to grow it's something? still possible but it's much harder um and the influencer thing is like like way oversaturated right now so i honestly don't think being an influencer is really the best model um if you're if you want to be a business maybe you can offer a service of some sort versus you know trying to just like be somebody and like get paid to post you know what i mean like because every single person is trying to do that that. in a sense so um the influencer thing i feel like if you're not already on that wave you know it's kind of what do you think like the easiest thing to start at this like do you do you think there's a formula to that like do you think like there is actually like a technique i know there's ways that you can optimize like your profile and stuff like that but the the ones that actually take off do you think it's something they did or you think it's who they are that actually does it it's probably a consistency thing you know if you have a message and you reliably show up every day and spread your message i mean it's just kind of like a matter of time before you'll become successful um, but like you, you have to have a message like the, what i'm saying yeah, is you have you to have, have, a message. have some special qualities within you that yeah you can't just you put forth to connect with people rather than trying right. to like quality content. formula yeah you have to have quality content you have to resonate with people you have to have insight into some field you know like some niche field could be psychedelics like in our example um could be health wellness people like the working out stuff i know that a lot of influencers are kind of workout guys um apparel brands this type of things so yeah you really you know consistency you know having a solid message solid branding solid website 
um, really just taking it seriously. Because if you half-ass it, then your results will be half-assed. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, let's jump around a bit now. Um, yeah. I got a couple questions, and then we'll dive into obviously psychedelics. Cool. Uh, but we're 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 doing okay on time. Um, what's one thing that you, you don't currently know that you want to learn about? So what's, what's, where's your curiosity? It could be a skill. It could be, you know, a topic. Is there anything particular that's on your list? Like, Hey, I want to learn about that. Wow. Good question. <clears throat> I've been finding myself being more interested in higher level video, um, editing. I've been video editing for a long time, you know, like 15 years plus. So most of the stuff I do is documentary oriented, you know, clipping stuff of real life. Um, but it would be cool to get deeper into like animation, you know, like so that you can do animation, more compelling content, totally just more high end visual 3d graphic type stuff, you know, like eventually, how would you learn about that? Like online courses mm-hmm. Is there like yeah, courses and just kind of trying your hand at it and messing up a million it's times and getting it right a million first time the best <laughs> of course yeah um so tell me about like any gadgets or science or apps that really make a difference in your life is there, is there anything that you is a go-to for you whether it's something on your phone or your computer or actual like physical gadget hmm. i used to be a little more into that the biohacking stuff like i was saying like i can't even recall the name of the bracelet that i have but Program wise, I mean, Ableton is the music is the music program I use. I I think that it's completely genius platform. Whoever made it, I don't know the dude's name who made it, but kudos. And it really makes it a lot of fun and easy and in flow to make music. Um, I find it super innovative. So Ableton has completely changed my game when it comes to music production. So. And what about yeah. like other technology for recording music? Like I remember back in the day, you had to go to like a recording studio to like mm-hmm. make an album. Now it's right. Like yeah, you can do it from home. Quality, you can still get decent quality with not breaking the bank. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's still definitely an investment. You know, there's lots of pieces to get. You know, first of all, you need like a nice computer that has enough RAM, enough hard drive space and, and uh, memory and all this and that to like successfully run music uh, programs. Then you need... Uh, an interface and speakers and uh, MIDI controllers and synths. And, you know, it's still like you're going to invest thousands of dollars for sure, but it's, it's doable in this day and age where you can, you know, like say one to $3,000 make a home studio versus Mm. spending $10,000 and not owning any equipment and just going to someone else's studio. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's jump into psychedelics. So, let's do it. Um, what's the most intense experience? Um, and, and and was there like a, a def, like a very clear like a bad experience that you what you would call what most people call a bad trip? Anything like that to share? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I haven't had a bad trip, even um, even when experience. One, one sec, Matt. My kids just came down. Sorry to interrupt you. Can we go inside? Go in the backyard. Yeah. In the backyard. I'll be up in a few minutes, okay? This is part of our, our, our show here in our in our professional studio in the basement. Sometimes the kids will run down and interrupt, so I apologize for that. Totally. Go, play, go play in the backyard, guys. I'm going to be out in a minute. We can go. Yeah, it's a, it's a Friday today, and it's a PA day, so school's out. So oh, nice. I, I got the kids at home. Oh, I used uh, to love those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are the best. They want, they want to go outside. So we'll yeah. get out in a few minutes. Cool, um, yeah. Like, yeah, most intense trip or bad trip, uh, mm-hmm. any, any of those experiences. A lot of people ask me because like, they have fear towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, luckily I haven't had a bad trip. I mean, I've had uh, difficult experiences within trips, but I've found that that old idiom that the way out is through, it works. I mean, the only way to get out of something you're feeling anxiety about is to just go into it head first. So, um, that's my motto. Yeah, hundred percent, and it works. And you'll it's be surprised how much faster you feel better. It's the resistance it's, where the pain comes from when you're trying to resistance. avoid it. And the the medicine's trying to bring you to somewhere to learn. Yep. And you know, if you're avoiding that, it's going to keep pushing on you. It's going to yep. drag on maybe all night. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like. It's so weird. It's like, it's, it seems counterintuitive, but someone going through a bad experience, like the people who have bad trips, for example, will resist something for four hours and have a terrible time for four hours. 
versus investing the five minutes to open that box and go inside and then get out the other side safely. Five minutes or four hours, which one, you know, like you want to do something hard for five minutes, you want to do something really hard for four hours. It seems like, you know what I mean? Like make the trade off. It's just fear. I think, I think they don't know or they don't realize that that's right. Maybe it's not possible, but that's why I think more guidance. Yeah. You trust trust the process, trust your soul. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like psychedelics have given me a glimpse of like what the soul is. Um, it's hard to, to, to say, you know, like give a scientific definition, but essentially it's the awareness that's left once your kind of default mind seems to not be there anymore. Like you're mm-hmm. not having the thoughts you're always having. You feel a little detached from the life and the story that you feel was you. And um, you still have awareness of the world around you. You still have awareness of the memories and the possibilities, but you are open to how things could be seen differently. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it's weird. It's like, it's hard to try and decide which of my experiences was the, the okay. most powerful. Yeah. Maybe, let's, let's talk about the, the first, the first one was the most powerful, most revelation. Yeah. Just because it's the first time learning that this whole other side of life is a thing. The other like awakening moments in psychedelics where you were like, wow, like an insight that just totally changed your perspective. Anything that comes to mind? hundred percent. My appreciation for nature has grown immensely. You know, before it was like, I didn't even see nature. Honestly, I just saw concrete and buildings and, Grass and trees were like, eh, whatever. There's grass and trees. But like after psychedelics, like I freaking love nature. You know what I mean? I find it so magical and mystical, beautiful. Just being out in the woods is like this like crazy timeless and, feeling. And you feel like you're a part of it. Like we, Yeah. We I feel like we're we walking houses. mushrooms or walking trees or something. Before like, we had houses and places mm-hmm. to live, I'm sure we lived in the forest as, as a part of it. Mm-hmm. not not separate from it you know like yeah it's encoded into our dna i think to really appreciate nature and that's something that people lose touch with for sure i mean a bunch of people still are in touch with it you know when you go out to the park you know there are people there it's because they yeah. understand that it's it's yeah. fun to be here um yeah. but uh, a part of me i had lost touch with that for sure you know you just start thinking about technolo- technology like I was saying, like when you're driving, you're looking at concrete, you're looking at buildings, you're looking at squares, you're looking at this stuff and you kind of lose the appreciation for the mysticality of trees and you know, I just, yeah, I had this one crazy, crazy experience. I think mm-hmm. it was an ayahuasca experience mm-hmm. where I relived myself as a sperm. Wow. And when you think about it, we were all like we, like this person, yeah. like you yourself at one we time are, yeah. was swimming in fluid, going right. through an egg to become yourself. It happened. You experienced that. Mm-hmm. I experienced, we all experienced that from some <laughs> level of consciousness. We did. We've forgotten about it, but we all did, you know, right, right. that growth, that, that cell division of us, our body, you know, from mm-hmm. that single cell to where we are today, trillions, starting right. to look one, you That's know, and it was incredible. Just, wow like i would never think of that or experience that and i was just like instant moment of gratitude of just like consciousness you know just like awareness of like that miracle like it's such a miracle and it was psychedelics and and, you know and then you know there's experience like that that really inspired me to make a documentary because i was like this is like the most amazing one of the most amazing experiences in my life and someone says it's illegal this is not good you should not do this bad for you i know you know, and, and that's man's law. You know what I mean? Man trying to say what's good and what's not, you know, usually based on their own interests. Right. Um, and, you know, one of my spiritual teachers was talking in an earlier podcast about this. It's like there's a spiritual law that, that governs the universe or the cosmos or whatever, like higher realms. Then there's like the natural law, which are the laws of nature. And mm-hmm. then there's man's law, which usually goes against the laws of nature because they okay. usually are contradictory or it supports personal interests for the destruction of nature and the, the, the loss of life and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, what, how do we, how do we fix that? And, and right. I guess my next question to you in the psychedelic space is, you know, where do you see this, the psychedelic community going from here? You know, do you see legalization as something that's yeah. real? And if so, 
you know, like how can we make sure it's, it's done in a, in a way with integrity? percent. Um, you know, like I think maps is leading that charge and doing a great job really. And I, and I'm kind of glad they're doing it with MDMA as well. And I know they're they're working on mushrooms and other things as well, which is great. But MDMA is, um, it's hard to have a bad time, right? You know, it's hard to have a negative experience or bad trip or whatever you want to call it. So it's effective. It's level of effectiveness is higher um, for achieving that, that awakened consciousness, uh, that heart space. And um, I do think that they are going to be, uh, you know, legal, sanctioned, but legal um, and done in, in proper set and settings and in professional offices and retreat centers and this type of thing. Um, it's happening. And uh, it's an interesting time to be alive. Honestly, super exciting time to be alive. Better than the 70s. Because when, you know, you first get into this stuff, before you can appreciate the here and now, you're all, you know, like, as someone who's interested in psychedelics, it's really easy to say, like, man, I should have been alive during the hippie age, you know, the 60s and 70s and blah, blah, blah. But dude, this is the real hippie age right now. Like, it's actually happening. It's becoming legal. People are turning on uh, at record you know, like rates as far as like, as I understand it. The only thing I wish we can experience now is like that anti-technology experience from the seventies. Like even if just for a Mm -hmm. month, you can have like zero connection to online. Like when I I was watching this documentary, which I mentioned earlier on this Woodstock documentary, you see there like not a single person with a cell phone. I think they're so present in that festival. Like everyone is so present. And, and, And I don't think we'll ever know what that's like ever again. You know, unless we lose drastically technology. Well, you know, I think that some people could create spaces for that. You know, hey, we're having a cell phone free festival. Come check it out. I mean, Burning Man is almost like that in the sense that there's no cell reception, right? People still taking pictures, but um, they have their phones. I guess it's very present. There's a lot of presence there. So, yeah. Yeah, I just heard, you know, from a friend of mine that his phone like did not work out there. So it was hard to actually like coordinate with people. I didn't realize until the last day that I could get reception. So for the first five days, it was just dealt with. No right. Was exactly. Great. So yeah. those spaces can still exist. You know, I think in yoga classes and stuff, cause I also teach yoga on the side just for fun. You know, I have a little circle drum circle and yoga circle that we do. Um, we're like, Hey, put the phone away. Right. You know, like we're not going to, for this hour, we're just going to do yoga. Like when gonna... I lose my phone for a day, mm-hmm. it's, it, the first feeling is panic. Like, fuck i forgot my phone at home <laughs> but then the rest of the day i feel a sense of freedom it's like i know i feel free like i'm on my own schedule no one yeah. can get up with me i'm doing what i need to do and what i want to do that's and the deep drive. yeah it's it yeah. is the deep i think one day a week i'm gonna intentionally leave my phone at home and just mm-hmm. go for it for sure man yeah yeah cool I think that's that's you know um yeah, so to get back to like kind of where are psychedelics going, I think that, you know, they're going to be, uh, there's going to be rules around them. Um, it's not going to be willy-nilly, which I actually think is good because these are powerful substances. They, they are capable of putting you in uh, tricky places um, where some, per- some people may have a bad time or a traumatic experience. So, you know, there should be some type of screening process. There should be some type of setting set and setting enforcement as to like, Hey, don't do it here, do it here in this way. Um, and, uh, essentially these medicines should have been part of, uh, psychology for since the beginning, but Mm -hmm. there was some kind of big outrage, you know, in the seventies and they made only illegal, but uh, now we can't deny that scientifically these things work, you know, yeah. like statistically people are getting better after use with them in the proper sentence setting. If you're doing it in the wrong sentence setting, it's not going to help you. Yeah. You know, if you're out taking MDMA at the rave, you're not hydrated, you're not going inward. I mean, are you really going to get much out of it as far as healing goes? Probably not. But if you go inwardly, you have like a sitter there, you have someone to talk to, to open up topics that are, uh, difficult for you to discuss, but for you to like open those up without fear and with compassion for yourself and the other people involved in those experiences that are holding you back. Uh, it's uh, revelatory. It's, it's yeah. It's I think, I think, I think you can get a, a, an amazing experience without the intention, but you're still only using the fraction of the potential that the medicine has like an MDMA. Mm-hmm. Like I, 
I've had experiences before I knew MDMA could be used for anything else at, at festivals where it was like, I felt this amazing connection, heart opening. And I think a lot of people feel that, mm-hmm. but like you said, you know, you can really do some long lasting work if you do it in the right context with, you know, going in and asking the right questions, the right sense. setting. so I a hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. A hundred percent. Cool. So we're, we're at about an hour, um, but I, I, we can have many of these conversations in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, is there anything that uh, you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you before we go? Is there anything? Um... I think we hit it, man, but yeah. you know, I, I will, you know, welcome the listeners to enter the time wheel, you know, find yeah, us timewheel.net. You know, we're on SoundCloud, We've got a bunch of releases out different um, genres, something for everyone. I hope who is into psychedelic, uh, independent music, films, shows. Um, so, you know, join us, check it out. We, we hope to like be kind of a nationwide thing. Um, this and next year, we're working on touring, uh, opening a, a couple of kind of like community events and stuff in different places, you know, Colorado, California, New York, this type of stuff. And um, yeah, we want to connect with you guys. So if you're in San Antonio, Austin area, time was here. Um, we welcome you to our shows, into our catalog, into the films that we represent and help put out. And uh, definitely big shouts to you and Psyched Out. Everyone should go watch that. Super awesome Thank film. You. It's a time wheel film as well. And yeah, super stoked to be a part of that. So yeah. Thank you, brother. Thanks for all your support Thank along you. the whole way from day one. I really appreciate it. And uh, more big things to come. Really looking forward to uh, future projects together and mm-hmm. all that we can create in this world. So Thank you guys. Check out Matt, all of his work, timewheel.net. And um, if you have any questions, you can send me an email or Matt, just connect with us. And uh, yeah, there to help you on your way. So again, thanks for watching, tuning in, subscribe, like, follow, Elemental Awakening, Time Wheel, and we'll see you soon. Much love. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Love you, brother. Thank you. Much love.